A text for our sermon this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3 and chapter 5. Before I read that, I want to tell you that the sermon this morning uh, is going to be brought to us by uh, Dr. Dan Zink. And if you were, had a chance to be with us at the marriage conference this weekend, uh, he needs no introduction. Uh, but for those of you who haven't got a chance to meet him yet, uh, Dan was, is a counseling professor at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis and was Susie's counseling professor in seminary. Uh, and then I got to have him for my professor a few years later when I went through seminary. Uh, and he is going to continue a theme from the marriage conference this weekend about being rooted and grounded in love as beloved children of God and how that gives a, helps us not only have healthy marriages but be healthy people. Uh, and uh, I'm excited for that this morning. The passages come from the book of Ephesians from chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Let me say first, it's been a a real pleasure for Carol Ann and I to be here uh, this past week with you all. It's been a wonderful time. Uh, special thanks to uh, Nathaniel and Susie Thompson and uh, Pastor Todd and uh, the cooks who let us stay in their apartment. Actually, we displaced them, and they paid the cost of whatever that was, and hopefully it wasn't too much. Uh, and we appreciate all of that and have felt very uh, warmly welcomed and uh, have appreciated being here. More than uh, we can probably express. One of the... Um, I am a professor at, I'm actually an associate professor, and I just make the rank, I know a lot of military people around here, clear, Um, at Covenant Seminary, but I'm also a student. Um, Currently, I learned there from my professor friends, uh, whatever rank they are, and, uh, but I was a student too. I first went to Covenant in 1985 as a student, yeah, that's a long time ago, um, but because Brian Chapel, the man who teaches the classes about preaching, uh, has been there a long time, Nathaniel and I had the same teacher. And one of the things that he taught us is that when you write, plan a sermon, and you're looking at a passage of Scripture, that you need to be thinking about our Fallen condition focus. And students, this gets driven into them so much, they start, you know, they turn it into initials, and they talk, start talking about, well, you know, the FCF, and it's like, oh, all right, fallen condition focus. 
And as we reflect on these passages out of uh, Ephesians that Nathaniel read for us, and some others that we'll look at, I'm going to have us looking at several things uh, to try to get uh, as clear a picture of the big picture as we can. We need to be thinking about our fallen condition focus. In light of this grounded so we can see clearly concept that's in the title. And to do that, I'm going to turn way back to the front of our Bibles in Ephesians, uh, excuse me, Genesis 3. Genesis 1 and 2, story of creation, story of creation of man and woman. Genesis 3, their fall, their sin. And we know that the serpent comes and is having a conversation with Eve um, and asks her questions, and she answers those questions, saying we can eat anything except that one tree, or, and she says, adds something of we can't even touch it or we'll die. And the serpent says, no, you won't die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her. He wasn't off in the garden, you know, doing something else, eating fruit out of another tree or something. He was right there. He was witness to this conversation. Didn't step up and participate until the eating came. Then the eyes of both were opened when they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig trees together and made themselves loincloths. It's this odd thing that in this sinful act, their eyes were opened, and yet they don't see clearly. They see more distortedly now. They actually understand less. They see that they're naked, but they understand less about, so who will take care of this problem? And they assume, we do. We can do this now. What a paradox, really. In our fallen condition, we can assume that we can handle things. Um, The things that we see, the things that we have the... Wisdom, if you call it that, to perceive, recognize our need, and we handle it. And not very well. Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves together to make themselves some loincloths so that they could cover their nakedness. It wasn't a very full, complete job. Um, but the main point that I want you to catch is that even though their eyes really were opened, their vision wasn't clearer. It was actually worse. So we see, as Paul, back there in Ephesians 3, there are actually two prayers in Ephesians. I'm going to look at both of them. One in chapter 1, one in chapter 3. I'm going to go back to chapter 1, picking up right in the middle of the prayer, roughly. Verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. 
Paul prays a prayer to counter that which happened in the fall that affects every human being born as sons and daughters of Adam. Praise a prayer that God would do the work to enlighten the eyes of our heart. The prayer in, I'm sorry, so go on. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, not against us, his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. In chapter 3, similar themes, again picking up in, a, in the middle of it, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know something that surpasses knowledge. It takes uh, being strengthened with power in your inner being. It takes that the eyes of your heart are enlightened so that you can comprehend what cannot be comprehended. God's love for you. And then, Nathaniel read it, but I want to emphasize that second phrase, that therefore be imitators of God, that we're in a relationship with him where we want to be like him as beloved children. The question I want us to think about as we think about this condition that we're in, that paradox of as fallen people that we see, but not clearly, that in God's work where he is able to enlighten us and change us, strengthen us in our inner being so that we can see more and perceive better. So the question I want us to think about is, how do you see God? And how do you see yourself? How do you perceive? Who do you perceive yourself to be? What do you perceive yourself to be like? What do you perceive God to be like? So I'm going to try to paint a couple of pictures, really just pictures from Scripture, and have us contemplate these pictures. First one's going to be about what God's like. Second one, what we're like. Um, And back to Genesis 3 for this first picture related to God. You know the story, I assume. So after those verses that I've read, then they've uh, sewed the fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They hear the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve hid themselves from the Lord. He seeks them out. He calls to them. Um, Where are you? I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, I hid myself. So he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded? The man said, The woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, 
What is this that you have done? The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Then God goes on to speak to the serpent, speak to the man, speak to the woman, saying, hey, here are the consequences of what you have done. And we study that, probably lots of sermons you've heard about that, I assume, lots of Sunday school lessons. And then there are two verses that seem to be just thrown in there to make sure we cover all the details, you know, at the end of the story. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Okay, got that covered. And then the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Oh, I've read over that for years. Let's stop there and think for a moment. So here in this context where Adam and Eve have sinned, God knows that he comes seeking them, has conversation, is clear about what the consequences are going to be, the fallen condition that they're now living in. And they say we're naked, so we covered ourselves up. And we hid things that we tend to do. And what does God do? He makes clothes for them. He makes clothes for them. As a loving parent, he cares and provides. What a picture. Is that your picture of God? This holy God for sure. But in the face right there of Adam and Eve's sin, he seeks them out, talks with them, and provides for them, and cares for them. In my mind, this picture looks like I don't have it all there because I I have God kneeling. I don't know what that exactly looks like. But I have God kneeling while, you know, Adam's standing up on a little tree stump or something. I don't know. So, you know, God can hem whatever he's hemming on on the pants or whatever it might be. Little needles coming out of his mouth, you know, so he can keep things, make it fit just right. Attention at all the detail. Hmm. But he made the garments out of skins. Maybe this is one of the best pictures of the gospel. Right here in chapter 3. Some animals had to die for those skins. Creation's done. I don't think God, you know... As some kind of divine magician whipped up some skins without costing the life of the animals that those skins came from. Provided. Went to an extreme to provide for his children. This caring God. Is that the way you think of God, really? And you may, I'm sure you know that concept, God is love. All of that. But is that really the way you think of him? The way you live is directed by that? To really get at the heart of how you view God, for most of us, a place you need to start is to think about, seriously think about how you think of what you believe about your own earthly father. So often, our concept of God is very much shaped by our concept of our earthly father. It can be very difficult to believe that God could be this caring, safe, nurturing, 
person that we can be in relationship with, the one that would make clothes so carefully and protect to meet the need that our sin created. Be very difficult to really believe that if your father wasn't safe. If your father wasn't very known to you. And unfortunately, that's going to be many of us in the room in one way or another or another that I haven't mentioned. I know it's true for me. I know that my concept of God that I have to fight against to really come to believe this picture, take this picture in, is so shaped by my relationship with my own earthly father. Now, to my knowledge, my earthly father was a wonderful man. I I believe that. But he died when I was five years old. And I know that he didn't abandon, he didn't leave, he didn't choose to die. I understand that. I believe that he loved me, but I have no real experience of that, no memory of that. He was a very nurturing man, but I don't really have memory of that. I'm sure it had impact on me as a person in those first five years. But one of the sad things, actually, about when people die is people only say nice things about them. And they're not very, it's hard to know what, who the real person was. And, you know, the most I get, if I ask relatives, you know, it's like, oh, he was a great guy. Great. That's nice to know. Uh, not too, or a couple years ago, I guess, or maybe it was several years now, I asked my mom, um, could you write me something about what dad was like as a person? Well, that was, I was asking too much of her, really. And uh, she she took a long time to do that, and on a birthday card, she wrote all over the card all, and told me three stories, but I knew the stories. And they weren't so much about him as a person, actually. So, but it's created this hero figure. Oh, he was great. Who's very long distance that I can't touch, I can't find, I can't learn much about him. And it's really hard for me to think of God differently than that. This hero figure who's untouchable. That's a daily battle for me. To be grounded in the love that God has so that I can know his love and the extent of it. I have to be able to take in better with God's help. I need to keep praying those prayers that Paul was praying for the people in Ephesus for myself. I need others to pray those prayers for me. And I imagine that you too need to pray those prayers for yourself. God, enlighten the eyes of my heart. Strengthen me and my inner being that I really can take in and embrace this picture of this loving, caring God who stoops down and meets our needs, puts his arm around us, cares for us, loves us. Another picture, we've already read it, we've already started talking about it prematurely, I think, uh, according to went against my plan. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. That little phrase, as beloved children, is an expression of how God views each one of you 
a child that he loves. And it's an expression of how you are to view yourself. That's really difficult. It's really, you know, we don't have much difficulty understanding that we're sinful people. When I started talking about that fallen condition focus, you're like, oh yeah, I get this. You know? But, and, but what's really difficult is to not have it so that in our vision is the only thing, is our sinfulness. And even in accepting Christ as our Savior and knowing it's all taken care of, it's all paid, that doesn't necessarily lower that out of our vision so that it's not the first thing that we see as we look at ourselves. To be grounded in love, we can look at that picture of God and who he is better, more clearly. But we can also look at that picture of who we are and how he sees us better. That we're his beloved children. Again, for that to happen, we're not going to do that by trying harder. It takes a spiritual work. Our eyes are open enough, but our hearts need to be open more. And God has to do that work. And God needs to use others in our lives to do that work so that we can see more clearly. But if we really get a hold of that and we really wrestle with that and we're making some change and some growth in that, what difference does it make? And I want us to think about that. It's two or three scriptural pictures again. Romans 8, didn't mark that one as soon as I get there. I'm going to start in verse 18, but I really just want us to focus on verse 21. I'll let, us, let you know when we get there. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope Here's verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Is that how you look at yourself? I I have the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Are you that glorious that you're that free? I know my answer is, What? What do you mean? Huh? Me? The freedom of the glory of God. This verse connected with Ephesians 5, 1, here, beloved children, says, suggests, if you can perceive yourself as God perceives you, there's a freedom in that. That's beyond what you experience. If you're still... Not able to see that. Not able to see that caring God cares for you as beloved, and you are those beloved children. Uh, There's a limit to the freedom that he has for you, that he wants you to experience. The freedom to enter life, the freedom to enjoy life, the freedom to be his child, the freedom to be who you are, who he made you to be. The freedom. 
Romans 5.3, turning back a few pages. Uh, 3 through 5. He starts in verse 1 talking about justification and all the glories of that. Then he says in verse 3, More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. We rejoice in our sufferings. There is no way, you know, remember, the Apostle Paul writing here in the book of Romans, he writes these really long sentences. And you have to take the whole sentence in or you're going to miss the point. And we rejoice in our sufferings. This is the very beginning of a, uh, a very long sentence. The very long sentence is describing a process. A process of growth that God has us in. Paul's really saying we rejoice in this process of growth and care and love that God has us in. That this process that starts with suffering. So we rejoice in our suffering. He's not saying, hey, I'm suffering. Woohoo! Let's celebrate. He's saying, wait a minute. God's at work so that at the end, hope does not put us to shame. Um, I, because character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts and we know it. We know it. We know that that God who kneels and stoops and cares kneels and stoops for us and that we know that we're beloved children. Circumstances don't become the way that we understand who we are. It's what God does through those circumstances as he grows our character, grows our perseverance, So we have a sense of hope, even in the midst of the suffering, because we know that we're loved to that extent. Then, one more, and then a concluding picture. Joshua 1.9. First chapter of Joshua is worth living in for a while. Um... You probably know the story. Israel has been, has been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses, at one point, sinned gravely, and God says, Moses, you're not going to lead the people in. They've come to the time where they're going to cross the river and enter the promised land. Moses dies. God has commissioned and is commissioning um, it actually shows up twice. Or not, I don't know if it happens twice or it's expressed twice, the same thing. God commissions Joshua. And he says to Joshua, you're going to lead these people. Everywhere you go, everywhere your foot touches, you're going to take that land. He also tells him, it's back in Deuteronomy, that by the way, in the long run, it's not going to work out so well. It's fascinating. These people are going to rebel against me. They're going to get... Um, exiled, sent into exile, and it's all going to be lost. The circumstances aren't the point. It's intriguing to me that God doesn't sit down there with Joshua and say, okay, here are the battle plans. Here's how you're going to do this. Um, 
I'm sure he's involved in that eventually when the time comes. But here, at this crucial time, what God knows is crucial is, Joshua, I have to talk to you about your heart. And he says, don't be afraid. Excuse me. He says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid, because I'm with you. Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The more we grasp this, the more we live in the truth that God is our loving, caring parent and we are his beloved child, the more we will, one of those things we'll be free from is fear. The fear that limits us, the fear that prevents us, the fear that causes us to hide. Remember what Adam said to God? I was afraid because we were naked. So we hid, running away from God and the one who could actually deal with the issues effectively. We all are afraid in all kinds of ways, all the time. Uh, We're really good at hiding that from ourselves. Part of what we need to pray for is we pray for our eyes to be enlightened, and the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. It's for the ability to see, recognize our fear, where we need to take it to God so that rather than just trying to ignore it and fight through it and be strong, that through who we are and who he is and the fact that he's with us, we can be courageous, which is strong. Strong in the relationship, therefore strong, not strong in ourselves because we're beloved children by this loving God. One more picture from two passages. I'm, I'm going to weave a picture together here. Psalm 17, 8. The psalmist says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Can you see yourself there? God sheltering you. And then in Zephaniah 3. 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Can you see that picture? The shelter of his wings. God singing over you. About you. Oh, beloved child. Let's pray. Father, truly we need the eyes of our hearts enlightened. Truly we need to be strengthened in our inner beings. That we can start. Uh, Surely we've already started, but we can continue in this 
process that you have us in and this work that you're doing in us so that we can more and more get our hearts around this great, vast, caring, affectionate, praising us, liking us, love that you have for us. We can't do it, Father. Help us. Help us. So that in the process, the world will look and will know there's something glorious there about those people who know their God. We pray, Father, that you continue that work in us. Bring it to its fullness. We pray in your name. Amen.